Well, welcome to church. We're so glad that you're here. My name's Craig, one of the pastors around here. And we're in a series through the, dev- uh, the seven deadly sins like uh, Pastor Steve talked about. And, you know, we, as we sort of began to sort of craft this uh, series together, we felt like we would do you guys a solid and not preach gluttony on Super Bowl Sunday today. <laughs> so we picked the second uh, deadly sin, the second most deadly sin that might rear its ugly head on a day like today. Because what's going to happen in just a few hours from now is you're going to sit on your couch and you're going to remember the incredible message that Pastor Chuck preached and you will not join in and be one that contributes to the 11.2 million pounds of potato chips that will get consumed today. I mean, not from a gluttony standpoint, a, a few, right? Just a few, right? You can, it's not true what they say. You, you can just have one, right? You can just have one chip, right? Uh, you, will, you will not participate in contributing to the 100 million pounds of chicken wings that will get consumed today, which by the way, equates to 1.25 billion wings themselves, which is amazing. It is just incredible to think about uh, Think about that, right? But what will likely happen a little bit later on today when the game is over and the food has been consumed, you will feel like you cannot get up off your couch. And you will feel like, oh gosh, I'm regretting this decision already. This was a bad move. I, I contributed to those consumption of wings and those chips and all the other incredible things. And maybe you will begin to feel like the animal that only became popular in recent years through a movie called Zootopia by one of our friends found in the DMV in this particular movie called Flash. Of course, Flash is, yes, a sloth. Now, I feel like I need to put it out there that if you work at the DMV, we love you. We do. We really do. And this scene is hilarious if you have seen this. If you haven't, go Google it. It's amazing. My favorite part is at the very end. When, I'm not going to say it. You can go, go watch it for yourself. You see, we're talking about the deadly sin of sloth or slothfulness, which basically means laziness. And on the surface, you might be sitting in here today out on the patio or watching online, and maybe you're like me and you think, you know what? I don't really struggle with laziness because I think of laziness as associating that to not having a job, being on my phone all day, and then when my phone dies, I'll just play video games all day. We're just basically a bunch of teenage boys around here is what we are, if that's what, if that's what we are. That's way funnier than you guys are laughing right now, by the way. <laughs> and this is how we generally think of laziness. And we just think, well, I'm not lazy, so let's move on to the next sin because this is an area of, of weakness for me. But as we have identified throughout this series, every single week, it's never just the deadly sin that's actually there. Because we've talked about pride and lust and gluttony and greed, and today we're talking about sloth, but there's always a thing behind the thing. And fortunately for you and I, we have the Bible at our fingertips, literally or even digitally, and today we're actually going to look at a passage where Jesus talks about the impact of slothfulness, the negative repercussions that can happen if we allow laziness to control our lives. In the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew, the self-titled author here, 
In his book, he actually spends 10% of his entire book that he writes in his gospel where Jesus is actually talking about parables, telling stories about one of two things, being prepared for the end times and being ready when Jesus returns. And in Matthew chapter 25, which is where we're going to be today, verses 14 through 30, if you've got a Bible, you can crack that open, you can follow along on the app or open up your Bible app, we read a parable, a story that Jesus tells, and it's commonly referred to as the parable of the talents or the parable of the three servants. Now, the parable of the talents stresses the need to serve the king while he is away, while he is off doing something else. And the way that the story goes like this, is like this. Three servants are entrusted with talents. And you and I read that word talents and we think, oh, some sort of skill. But there was actually some monetary value associated with this. And he pulls three servants in and he says, I'm going away on a trip and I need to entrust you with some of my talents, with some of my money, and I need you to go be a good steward of this. And what he does is he actually takes the talents and he distributes them to each of the three based on their ability, based on their ability that they have shown to be faithful in a particular area. And so for the first servant, he gives five talents. And the second servant, he gives two talents. And then to the third servant, he gives one talent. Now, as I read this story, I can, these are my words, my thoughts. I think that this guy is actually well off. He goes on a trip and he's gone for a long, long time, which means he's probably gonna have a lot of servants, a lot of people trying to keep things running while he's away. And these were the three servants that he looked at and said, these are the three that I could trust the most. These are the three that I could leave my stuff with and know that they're gonna be faithful. Now, you're probably sitting there thinking, all right, talent, whatever, like, can you give me some sort of like modern day equivalency of what we're talking about? One talent uh, would actually uh, be equal to 6,000 denarii back in that day. And one denarii was actually a day's wage. So if we were to extrapolate this, and let's just say this guy was a generous guy in today's standards and he was paying somebody $20 an hour, one talent would have been worth $950,000 today. $950,000, which means two talents. Math people are out there like doing like this. The English majors are carrying the one minus the four, add the three. $1.9 million for the two talents. And for the, for the guy that was considered the most faithful, he got five talents, which was $4.75 million in today's standards. And this guy just says, I need you to go be a faithful steward. I need you to care for this stuff while I am gone. And so the first two go out and they invest their money and they actually double their money. So the guy who had 4.75 million, he turns around and he's got almost $10 million worth that he has brought back for his master. The guy who was given the two talents, which was 1.9, he shows back up and he's got just shy of $4 million that he comes to his master and says, here's what I've done. And then the third servant shows up and he takes his one talent and what he had actually done is he had gone out and he had buried it in the ground which to you and I today might seem a little weird, but back then it wouldn't have been weird. Because if you wanted to safeguard an asset of some kind, this was a common practice where you'd go out and you'd bury it and you'd mark it and make sure it was buried and it was safe and everything and then you would go back and retrieve it when it was ready and this is exactly what this guy did. He buried it. He went back to retrieve it when his master came back. And look at this response in Matthew chapter 25, verses 24 through 27. It says this, The servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. And then verse 25, you ready for this? I was afraid. 
I was afraid. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. So look, here is your money back. But then the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops that I didn't plant and gathered crops that I didn't cultivate, why didn't you at least deposit my money in the bank? At least you could have gotten some interest on it. And then at the conclusion of this parable, it says that this servant is actually cast away out of the master's presence into darkness. And in verse 26, we see a response from the master that says this, you wicked, lazy servant. The term lazy here means sloth, which comes from the Greek word. The root word here is akneo, right here, akneo, to feel reluctance, to feel an unwillingness. Because let's be honest, there's times where we sit on our couch and we're like, it's kind of nice to rest for a second. It's so much deeper than just feeling like you need a rest or feeling like, oh man, this couch feels really comfortable right now. You see, it goes deeper than that. There's a reluctancy to do something. There's a reluctancy to act. There's an unwillingness to go do something. You see, this servant was reluctant and unwilling to put in the work on behalf of his master. And he didn't do the work to earn his master more money like he was told to go do. You see, he wasn't faithful with what was entrusted to him. Now, we live in a society today, and maybe you're sitting here thinking this exact thing right now. Who cares? Who cares? Because we live in a society today that says this. If I do something that doesn't hurt other people, but it just affects me, then I'm entitled to go do that. You see, I'm entitled to feel the way that I feel as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. I'm entitled to do the things that I do, but because they don't hurt other people, I can do them. You know what? I'm entitled to be lazy because it doesn't affect other people. It just affects me. And if that's how you want to think about this, we're believing a lie straight from the pit of hell itself in this. That to the Christians in the room, watching online, all over the earth, There's so much more at stake than this. There's so much more. Because if we buy into this laziness idea that, oh, it only affects me, it's not hurting anybody else, so who actually cares? Because it's just me. I'm not hurting anybody else, right? God says, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I'll love my neighbor, but gosh, I am so stinking lazy. Or I'm gonna feel the way that I wanna feel today, and I'm gonna act on these feelings, but they, they only affect me, they don't affect other people. But what's interesting is this. Our laziness, our slothfulness can have eternal implications. This is why this matters so much. Because our inactivity, our reluctancy, our unwillingness to act, to go do, to be faithful with what God entrusts to Christians, other people's eternity hangs in the balance Because when you said yes to Jesus, or maybe you will one day say yes to Jesus, sharing Jesus with other people is not an option. This is something that is demanded of us. Why? Because people's eternities hang in the balance. 
in a room this size and for everybody watching online, I have no doubt that there are people in this room whose lives have been impacted by one person who introduced you to Christ and you're probably eternally grateful for that one particular person that didn't give up on you, that extended the invite, that was praying for you, that was reading scripture, that was joining in with you, getting down into a hole with you where you were experiencing some of the toughest difficulties of life because they knew what the command was to go be faithful, to not be a wicked, lazy servant and just think, well, I'm just gonna sit on my hands and I'm gonna let somebody else share the gospel with somebody else. This cannot be taken lightly. And in Ezekiel chapter 33, this is a profound uh, profound passage. And if this doesn't stop you in your tracks today, I don't know what will. Look at this, Ezekiel chapter 33, verses one through six. Once again, a message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, give your people this message. When I bring an army against a country, the people of that land choose one of their own to be a watchman. When the watchman sees the enemy coming, he sounds the alarm to warn the people. Then if those who hear the alarm refuse to take action, it's their fault if they die. It's their fault. It's our responsibility to sound the alarm. It's our responsibility to make sure that people understand the implications of that our lives don't just end here on earth, but there is an eternity awaiting us. And it's our responsibility to sound the alarm. And this passage is saying that if somebody hears that alarm, but they refuse it, that's on them. Verse five, they heard the alarm, but ignored it. So the responsibility is theirs. It's theirs. If they had listened to the warning, they could have saved their lives. You ready for verse six? This is it. But if the watchman sees the enemy coming and doesn't sound the alarm to warn the people, He is responsible for their captivity. They will die in their sins, but I will hold the watchman responsible for their deaths. This is on us, Christians. This is our responsibility because people's eternity hangs in the balance and it's all dependent on us not being lazy hoping that somebody else would step in and share the gospel with somebody else, hoping that somebody could step in and save my marriage, hoping that somebody could step in because I don't know how to parent this this child, hoping that one day that all of this yuckiness with my boss will just pass away sometime and maybe somebody will just save me from it. But it requires us to act because God calls us servants of his and it's our job to be faithful, not to be a wicked, lazy servant. Notice what that passage is saying. Notice notice what we are not responsible for. Verses four and five talks about we're not responsible for making people take action. It's not on us to ensure that people say yes to Jesus, that, that we make them say yes. That's not our job. Our job is... Introduce them to Jesus and let the Holy Spirit go to work and let the convictions of whatever is going on inside of them, this is something that they get to wrestle with, but we get to be side by side with them as they wrestle through it. And what are we responsible for? We gotta sound the alarm. We gotta let people know. We gotta share the good news. We gotta share our story. We gotta make sure that we make him known. Otherwise, I believe that you and I will stand before God on judgment day And we might hear, well done, good and faithful servant, maybe. But imagine if there was a list, a list of people whose judgment would be different than yours. And you were the only person 
whose invitation would have provided an opportunity for that person to be united with God for eternity. And that person missed that. Not because they weren't unwilling to hear it, but because they never received an invitation from you. They never received that encouragement from you. They never heard you actually share your story with them. Imagine the implications. Our goal is to make, heaven lo- uh, make hell lonely and heaven crowded. That's our job. That's our responsibility. And anytime that we can go out there and sound the alarm, then good on us because that is God's command to you and I as Christians. And maybe that terrifies you. Maybe I- I've been there. How do, I, how, do I, how do I talk to this person? I don't even know where, where to start. I've got this fear of starting a conversation that I don't have all the answers to. I've got this fear. Maybe it's a different fear. Maybe it's a fear of not knowing enough. And I'm not just talking about like sharing our, 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 our faith with other people. I'm just talking about life in general now because what if your laziness is all based on this fear of imperfection? Like, oh gosh, like I, I'm, I, if I can't be perfect at it, I'm just not gonna do it. If I can't actually make it 100% right the very first time, then I'm not even going to try. That can be a source of sloth. Remember, there's a thing behind the thing. Maybe it's a fear of not being able to meet goals or expectations that drives you to inactivity. Maybe it's a fear of not discovering a purpose. And you just don't know what you're here on earth to do. And so you just sit back and you just watch everybody jump into the game and get off the bench, and you just really don't know what to do because there's a lack of purpose there. Maybe you have this fear of not being in control. If I can't control the circumstances around me, then I'm not getting in the game. Or maybe you have this one. Maybe it's a fear of failing. Maybe it's a fear of failing. You see, when I started studying for this message, I realized that I didn't, I didn't think that I struggled with laziness. I didn't think that I struggled with slothfulness. And as I got into the study, I realized that the thing behind the thing for me is actually a fear of failing. Because as long as I could remember, I've always had a fear of failing. And as a people pleaser, that crushes me. That if I would let somebody down, it's better to not let somebody else down and just not provide any expectation for said person. So I'm just going to sit back and I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to do anything. Several months ago, before we moved down here, uh, we were thinking about buying a new TV. And um, the TV that we had had, uh, is, it, it's still functioning, but we'd had it for many, many years up to this point. And somebody heard that we were uh, looking for a new TV. And so they said, hey, we've got this uh, TV. It's just kind of sitting here. We bought it. And then we got another TV and we just never really used it. And so would you like it? And we're like, sure. Yeah, for sure. So they give us this TV. Okay. But it doesn't have a stand on it. We have an entertainment center thingy, and so we would like set our TV on it so we'd watch it. But this didn't have legs on it. So this was either going to sit propped up against the wall at an angle and hope that it didn't fall. And with two kids in the house, there's for sure, it's for sure going to get knocked over. Prayerfully not on the kids, obviously, but they're going to knock it over, right? We'll talk about wrath next week. Um, so... I had to buy a TV mount. And I'm actually, I, th- I think I'm decently handy. I, I, can, I can watch my way through a YouTube video and get something accomplished and go through that. But it took me months to hang that mount. Here's why. I was afraid I was gonna mess it up. I was genuinely afraid I was gonna mess this up. And so what I did was I said a phrase that maybe you've said, like I said, oh, you know what? I'll do it tomorrow. You laugh but I know you've been there. I'll do it tomorrow. And then tomorrow turns into, you know, I'll, I'll do it. Some, someday I'll get to that. 
But the more we say tomorrow, the more we say someday, we'll actually never become one day. Because we'll just sit back and we'll just think, I'm too afraid. And this fear of failing, it would, it would, it would eat at me. And I'm still wrestling. Through. I finally got that TV mounted, by the way. Funny story about that, by the way. We had to make sure that the TV mount could like bear weight. And so it said like up to 75 pounds. Well, my son Cade is seven and he's about 60 pounds. So I extended that mount all the way out, extended the arm and I said, hey, Cade, come here. And so he hung from the mount and like tried to do like a pull up on it. And that thing was golden, y'all. It was great. It was great. I pushed through the slothfulness, the fear of failing. You see, what's interesting is this. Sloth actually occupies a unique place among the seven deadly sins in that it actually undermines our efforts and abilities to deal with all the other deadly sins. Think about it. Oh, I'll get to that tomorrow. I'll get to that someday. But as you and I know, someday will never turn into one day. Sloth is also a stealth sin. It's often an undetected sin. We generally think of sin, uh, sins as we do uh, doing something wrong, right? But it's just as sinful, sinful to omit something. It's why James chapter four, verse 17 says this. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do, but then not do it. It's a sin to know what you should go do, but you sit back in laziness, you sit back in slothfulness, buying into the thing behind the thing that's fueling the laziness. So how do we combat this fear? How do we prevent this from happening? How do we prevent it from the thing behind the thing for you? Manifesting into slothfulness or laziness. The first thing I'm gonna tell you is this. We have to be diligent with what we're given. We have to be diligent with what we're given. You see, the first two servants were given according to their abilities. And so was the third one. They all had abilities. They all had the capability of making sure that this talent got stewarded well, managed well, cared for well, utilized well. And the first two were diligent, but the third one was negligent. He was lazy. He was full of fear. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul's writing a letter and he's actually warning the Thessalonians about something incredibly dangerous. Look at this. Our orders backed up by the master, Jesus, are to refuse to have anything to do with those among you who are lazy and refuse to do the work uh, the way that we taught you. Don't permit them to freeload on the rest. We showed you how to pull your weight when we were with you, so get on with it. We didn't sit around on our hands expecting others to take care of us. In fact, we worked our fingers to the bone up half the night moonlighting so that you wouldn't be burdened with taking care of us. And it wasn't because we didn't have a right to your support. We did. We simply wanted to provide an example of diligence, of diligence, hoping it would prove contagious. And here we find the opposite of the sin of sloth, the virtue and its diligence. And Paul is hoping that diligence amongst these people and amongst us today, that diligence is contagious. And if you've ever felt lazy or experienced laziness, oftentimes what happens is maybe the source for your laziness is being around other people that are lazy. Maybe it's just too easy to sit around and be like, oh, I don't really feel like doing anything. I got my homies next to me or I got my girls here and we're good. Like, I don't really wanna. And the problem is, is you've got people around you that are not pushing you on to good deeds, that are spurring you on to good deeds. You see, Paul would actually continue in his letter and warn the Thessalonians to not even associate with lazy people. He offered them a warning 
You see, he's preaching diligence because he knows laziness and slothfulness can destroy diligence. Well, you might be asking, well, what's diligence? What is it? Well, diligence is this. Look at the screen. Diligence is a steady perseverance in one's effort and results in careful, energetic, and persistent work. Diligent people, you know what? You guys will get the job done. If you're diligent, you'll get it done. Why? Because you will not give up until it's done. You'll find a way to get it done. You'll find a way to get that TV hung on the wall. You will. You'll find a way to make sure that your family members who are, not, who are far from God, who are far from God, you'll make sure that they'll hear it, they will hear about it in a loving way. Your coworkers, your neighbors. You will make sure that that happens. You see, the Bible uses the word diligence in several ways, and it's always, always in a positive sense. Look at Proverbs chapter 10, verse four. It says this, poor is the one who works with a lazy hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. That term right there, lazy hand, it actually means idle. Not like an idol we worship, but as in like nothing is going on idle. Nothing is happening. The hands just sit there. You see, the wicked lazy servant, he did nothing. He was idle. And so it begs this question, are you diligent? Are you diligent? Are you willing to work your hardest, to not give up, but to be diligent? You see, sometimes we excuse ourselves from not being diligent in certain areas of our life because we're killing it in some other areas of our life. Like we show up to work and we are just there crushing it. We can't We can't stop getting bonuses. We can't stop getting raises. We can't stop receiving the praise because we pour ourselves out eight to five or even beyond that, 10, 12 hour days and we are slaying the work game. But every other area of your life is suffering because you're pouring yourself out here and you're being diligent in this way but you're not being diligent here. You're giving your best and everything else over here just gets the rest. That's why marriages suffer. It's why our kids wander aimlessly looking for godly examples from us. Because we'll be diligent in this way, but we won't be diligent in this way. Oftentimes we prioritize our kids as the most important things in our lives. And so our kids receive all of our diligence, but our spouse, they get nothing. I'm not diligent with my spouse. I don't have the time to do that. I just need to cater to my kids. You see, the problem is, is we need to be diligent in every single area of our life. What would it look like if we actually were diligent in every area that God entrusted us with something? Because it's time, treasure, and talent. Time is the biggest thing. Because we think that if I'm pouring myself out in this particular way, a lot of times we'll just think, well, I'm gonna crush it in the time and talent and the treasure thing. Like, I'm gonna keep all that for myself. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm too lazy to give. Like, I'm too driven, actually, to give to God. I work too hard for this. This is mine. And in another setting, it might be like, well, you know what? My treasure and my talent, I'm good with that. I'll give, I'll do that. I'll sign up for the special thing. But the problem is, is the time is actually an unfortunate area where we're not a faithful steward. What if we actually were diligent in every single area of our life that God gives us? Because everything is a gift from God. And every gift that he gives you, just like the servants, we're called to be diligent. We are called to be diligent. You see, sloth is more just a, slothfulness is more than just an avoidance of physical work. It's actually an, an avoidance of spiritual work. 
In Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 to 25, this is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. It says this. It says, servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters and don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master for God, confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. And these two words wreck me every single time. It says, the sullen servant who does shoddy work will be, will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. Translation, we just can't sit here behind our Bibles and think, oh gosh, well, I don't have to be faithful because I'm a Christian. You see, I don't have to make sure that I'm being a faithful steward in these different areas of my life because I'm a Christian and I know some Bible verses. I don't need to be faithful in the area of my finances because I check off the church box every single week when I show up. I don't have to be faithful. And this passage is saying right here, being a follower of Jesus doesn't give you the excuse to be lazy. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't provide you the opportunity to sit back and hope that somebody else will do the work that God has entrusted for you to go do. It's our responsibility. It is your responsibility. It is my responsibility. Everything you have in your life is a stewardship opportunity. Everything is a stewardship opportunity. I'm running out of time here. I need to be a good steward of my time and your time. And maybe you walked in here today and you're like, you know what? Most of the time I'll hear a message and it sounds really good, but I don't really know what to do with it. So I'm about to go insanely practical for you. Because if you feel like you're dealing with laziness, if you feel like you're de dealing with slothfulness in your life, I'm gonna give you three things that you could literally do today. And they're an encouragement for you. So if you are wanting to make sure that you can beat that, we're gonna set some goals together. And you're like, oh, I've done the goals thing. Ch next, I've done the, no, 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 these are gonna be helpful. You ready for this? The first thing you gotta do about that goal is this. You gotta make it small. You gotta make this goal small. How many of you guys are still following a New Year's resolution that you set back in January? I didn't think so. Okay, one person, Scott, of course Scott is. Okay, two people. Okay, close your eyes. All right, nobody raised their hand, okay? All right, hey, good for you. But most of the time, if we aren't following through on our New Year's resolutions, it's because they're too big, right? They're too large. We just think, oh gosh, I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna run 10 miles every day. I'm gonna crush this thing. You're not running 10 miles. You're not. You gotta make the goal small. You have to make the goal small. Look at Proverbs chapter 13, verse four. It says this. It says, lazy people want much but get little, but those who work hard will prosper. Maybe the small goal that you need to set for yourself is, you know what? We just heard a message on greed. Last, last couple of weeks, we've been talking about this offering that we have as a church for you, for anybody to go take advantage of Ramsey Plus, to start being faithful in the area of your finances and get some things in order. And this is a free resource. The church actually ponied up the money so that we, because we're calling you to be faithful, right? We're calling you to be faithful. So as a church, don't you think as a church we should be faithful too and we should provide those opportunities and that we should be a good steward? You better believe we ought to be a good steward, which is why we're rolling this out. This costs us money to be able to do this, and it's for you. And Ramsey Plus is just a series of baby steps that you can start taking advantage of today, of today. You start taking advantage of those things. So start getting a handle on your finances. Make it small. These are, they're called baby steps. Babies are small. Make the goal little. Make the goal small. Number two, make, make it visible. 
Make the thing that you want to accomplish visible. Put your running shoes by the door. And maybe before we get to the running side of it, we just start with the walking side of it. I'm gonna walk. I'm gonna do this thing. I'm gonna read a Bible. I'm gonna, I'm gonna re- start reading the Bible. And I don't really know where to start. Can I give you a suggestion? Read, read, a, read a proverb every day. And you could pick the date of the actual day. There's 31 Proverbs. February, you have to do a little bit more work, right? Okay, there's a, little, a few less days. The days where we got 30, June, September, those days you have to do an extra day. But the 31 days of the month, there's 31 Proverbs. Start there. Set a one minute timer on your phone and pray. That's it. God doesn't need this drawn out long prayer. He just wants to hear from you. He just wants to hear from you. Set a small goal. Make it visible. Make it visible. And then number three, be diligent. Be diligent. You've got the guardrails in place. You've got the things that you want to accomplish. You're making these small goals. You're making them little. You're also making them visible so that you can see them. You could put your Bible on your pillow so that when you go into bed, the only way that head's gonna hit the pillow is if your head hits the Bible first. Put it on your pillow, make it visible, but then go and do it. Be diligent. And maybe you're sitting there right now and you're thinking, you know what, I've done this before. I've heard these things before. Yeah, yeah, I gotta set smaller goals. Yeah, yeah, I gotta make sure that we're that you know they're they're visible and I've got reminders. My phone goes off. I've got reminders. I've got the restrictions on my apps and all these things like that. I'm 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 doing that, but I already feel overwhelmed. Can I say this? It is overwhelming. Being diligent is hard. Doing the right thing is often never the easy thing. The reality is we have a helper. We have someone who wants to walk with you. And it's the promise of the Holy Spirit who will teach you and guide you and counsel you, offer encouragement. And the only way to have access to that Holy Spirit is to say yes to Jesus. The only way that you can be consumed by God's Spirit is to say yes to him first. Maybe you walked in here today and you're like, you know what? Laziness, that ain't me. But maybe right where you sit, whether you're in this building or online or out on the patio, maybe your decision to follow Christ has always been followed with, I'll do it someday. I'll get to that next week. But maybe your day is today. Maybe that one day is today. Because if we're gonna be diligent, if we've got an account that we're gonna settle with God one day, we ought to be diligent. And that all starts with being diligent in our responsibility to say yes to him. Would you guys do me a favor? Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, I thank you for this passage that we dove into today and took a look at Matthew chapter 25. God, you call us to be faithful. You call us to be diligent in every area of our life. Being diligent is extremely hard, it's extremely difficult. And if you're in here today and you recognize that there's some things that you need to stop putting off, 
that you need to stop saying, I'll get to that one day or another day. Maybe that another day or someday needs to be today. And you need to say yes to him because you've put it off. You may not have all the facts. You may not have all the answers. That's okay. No one in this room does. But I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to him. And so if that's you, or maybe you need to come back to him. Maybe you need to say, God, I've, I've been doing this all on my own for a long time now, and I need, to, I need to get back on that right path. I want to give you a chance to do that as well. If that's you, if you want to say yes to him, would you pray this prayer silently to yourself? Would you pray this and repeat this after me? Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your love. And thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord, for calling me your servant. Lord, here I am. I want to be faithful. So make me yours. And would you fill me with your love? And God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you. I love you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen if you prayed that prayer. Amen if you made that decision to say yes to Jesus. Amen. And here's what we're going to do. We're gonna do something special. By the way, if you prayed that prayer online, I encourage you to text AMEN to 77247 or go to crossroadschurch.family and let us know that you made that decision. Don't buy into that laziness. Don't buy into that slothfulness. Don't think like, oh, I'll do this another time. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, or maybe you're like, oh, I wish I would've and I, you still can't, would you do that? Thanks again for joining us. Here at Crossroads, we're all about helping people take their next step. So, what's your next step? Whether you've made a decision to follow Jesus, want to be baptized, or you're interested in knowing more about God and the Bible through our Alpha class, we can help you take your next step at crossroadschurch.family. We also want to invite you to gather your family and friends to join us right here online again next week. We're live Wednesdays at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 a.m. So if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and you'll never miss out on any new messages. If you found this message encouraging, click the like button and let us know how we can pray for you this week in the comments. Finally, if your life is being impacted by Crossroads and if you wanna be part of making an impact all over the world, you can head to crossroadschurch.family to do that now. Thanks again for watching and we'll see you next time.